2: So welcome to another edition of On The Continent, your one-stop place for all things to do with European football and what a cracking week or last couple of days it's been. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel and I'm David Cartledge. There really is a lot to talk about today. Amongst the other things we'll talk about the great exodus of top European football coaches. Where will they all end up? Also, how will Spain's top two respond to coming second and third in La Liga? And bienvenue chez le Lillois. How on earth did the Ligue 1 champions manage to keep the mighty PSG at bay right up to the final whistle of the last match of the season? So, if you've been following European football, you will know that we are literally making this up as we go along because the news keeps (laughs) changing every minute. Andy, do you you want to just give us a summary of the last 24 hours? Well, I think the the
3: summary is we've barely got time for David Cartledge to congratulate Villarreal on their (laughs) Europa League win because everyone is changing jobs since. I mean, after the football ramble today, um, we were about Thirty seconds before the end, when uh, Real Madrid um, officially confirmed that Zinedine Zidane uh, was on the way off. Before the final yesterday, we knew that um, Antonio Conte was leaving Inter, which was perhaps not the greatest surprise, but still a profound shock. So soon after they've 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 won the league. Uh, David, let's get Villarreal out of the way
4: first. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. Um... Oh, I mean, it's it's not fair. They've won the first major trophy
3: in their history. Uh, Antonio Conte, Zinedine Zidane, Andrea Pirlo, and Max Allegri. Sorry, spoilers fans. are going to bloody spoil it?
4: Yeah, it's usually the night after Letty have done something good that Real Madrid decided to drop some news <laughs> <laughs> to try and drown <laughs> it out. Um, yes, yes. Um, a town of just over 50,000 uh, Villarreal. Uh, very young club as well. Um, I think it's such an extraordinary achievement. It's their first ever trophy. Um, they've been through hell and back. Uh, You know, they, they suffered a relegation a few years ago as well. Um, and I think it's a really, really nice story, especially when you see somebody like Pau Torres um, lifting the trophy. He went through Villarreal's academy as a young boy. He's from the town as well. Um, he's, you know, he was, he, there was pictures of him on the pitch when you uh, were actually promoted back um to Primera as well. He was you know it was such a, a big occasion for for him as a, as a supporter and now he gets to lift a trophy with his with his boyhood club and I think after everything that has gone on with the Super League and such this is it's I think it's really nice to end the season on a note a warm note like this.
3: Although if I was Antonio Conte I would be saying okay, Paur Torres, Trigueros, fantastic but it's all about the old guys because you look at the experience they've got Villarreal yeah. um and obviously people look at Parejo um, who's a great pickup at the start of the season
4: Capu's come in there's uh, Collasbacker uh, Raul who Al- I thought Albiol was excellent yeah he had a great he's a, he's had a bit of a renaissance because I think there was a period where you know he, he's a defender who you know he doesn't work very well on a, on a high line and mm-hmm. I think Emery's uh, identified that of course with him in these these years and he's he's been incredible so he's yeah
2: back. But and of course, their goalkeeper knows how to take a penalty. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah, yeah, that was that was. There were some fantastic penalties, but I think that was the best. But don't take it like a
3: penalty. Take it like you're a goalkeeper taking a goal kick. I mean yeah. that 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 is the way to take it, isn't it? And that that worked. But going back to Antonio Conte, yeah, he would be saying, yeah, it's about the old guys because of course that was his idea to beef up this inter squad, mm. which he knew. Going back a year, he was really, really close to leaving Inter this time last year. Because even for him, he was quite pugnacious and came out after they won 2-0 Atalanta on the final day to finish second and said, the club haven't supported me, they haven't supported the team, and it looks for all the world like he's going to go. And then he sees what's happening at Juventus with them going a bit backwards anyway, with it not really working under Sadi, with Sadi going, then with them doing this panic appointment of Andrea Pirlo, and he looks at this, being the pragmatist that he is, and he thinks, well, let's bury the hatchet, whatever it takes, because this season, we're going to go and win the league. You're such a cynic. <laughs> no, he's such a cynic. I'm simply telling you what <laughs> happened. And, and so he did stay. And I I think this season has been so good for Inter, if circumstances would have, would have been different, he would have been persuaded to take them on and build on it. But he needs, he always needs to know. He's a very restless guy. He needs to know that he can build on things. And we talked about it in recent weeks the fact that he's been so unusually zen. I think it's because he's known for a while it's over. Because Sooning, who own the club, need to make these cuts. We know they've taken a beating across various sectors of business. And now it's becoming clearer and clearer how big those cuts are going to be. You know that they Stephen Zhang, the the president, said, "Thanks, guys, for winning back the league for the first time in eleven years. Um, we think you should take a ten percent pay cut and not accept a bonus." <laughs> and
4: the, f- I think- the fans were already out for him as well. He, I, I was laughing. He was he was celebrating and such, um, and with the scarf and, and and saying what a great achievement it was. And the fans were already baying for blood and like, "Okay, what's going on with the club?" Yeah. You know, what goes on beyond than right now? And there's been no answers there, I guess. And I guess we're going to find out in this summer market. <laughs>
3: and I think if you're an Inter fan as well, you must be thinking back to that last league win, World well, treble win under Mourinho. And, you know, Mourinho has kind of perfected the uh, Kaiser Sose walking away from a burning <laughs> building and it collapsing into <laughs> a, a pile of burning rubble. But nevertheless, the the speed with which it fell apart after they won the treble in in, in 2010, um, getting through a couple of coaches in double quick time, um, being fettered by FFP, trying everything they could to get rid of Wesley Snyder, all that sort of stuff. I think there must be a bit of a worry if you're an Inter fan, which way it's going to go. And then when you look at Juventus potentially making a sensible appointment with Pirlo set to be on his way. Max Allegri set to come back. I mean, it is, you know, the Imperial March music from Star Wars? Yeah, I don't know if anyone else can hear it's that time. playing in the background. Yeah. Yeah. It
2: certainly is I time can. for that, yeah. But interestingly enough, and this conversation today is very much about coaches because it's an inter- international perspective. I wonder, David, whether... What's happening in Italy is about the Italian connection or whether it's about the Spanish connection or any other connection there may be because these coaches are moving across national borders like never before.
4: Yeah, it's quite incredible. If you look at all the, the clubs who are changing hands, like I've got Real Madrid, Inter, Napoli, Roma, Spurs, Lyon, Lille and the entire Bundesliga top six are <laughs> all changing coaches. And seven, we, of the,
3: seven of the top eight? Yeah. Fourteen of the 18 potentially?
4: Mm. And it's, going into next season. It's absolutely astonishing. Um, and I think it's interesting. I think it's because, and maybe this is just my throw it, throw the dart at it here teams aren't, clubs aren't going to be able to spend a lot of money uh, this summer. So they are potentially looking at a cheaper resolution. It's cheaper to hire a manager, especially on a short term contract potentially, than buy in an influx of new players, spend 100, 150 million on players. And they can maybe get a coach in who can stabilise things or change things or revitalise things in the case of Allegri, for instance. Yeah, I, th-
3: I think that's right. I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. And I mean, it's a, a, a non-OTC example, I suppose. Or no, Of course, he had that spell at Sociedad. I think you look at David Moyes this season at West Ham and the way he is... The, the most outstanding point of what he's done, he has done a great job... He's really coached those players. There are lots of really underachieving players there. I think Pablo Fornal's is perhaps the most obvious one. And if you think you can get a coach who can do that, who can maybe just bring a fresh perspective, maybe as much as just change.
4: I think change the mentality of it as well. I mean, um, just today as well, another managerial appointment, um, Pep Bordelas has left the taff and he's gone to Valencia. Again, Valencia, absolutely no money to spend. No players are going to be coming through the door. If anything, there's going to be two or three leaving. But Lim, the owner, has looked at it and said, "All oh, right, we don't have to spend much money with him. Look what he's been doing at Affair these last few years. He hasn't spent a dime, um, and and he's been getting more out of a group of players than anyone could have. And I think that's what they're trying to replicate. And I think a lot of clubs are looking at it, perhaps on a bigger scale.
3: I mean, it's going to be epically grim football. Just in case you're uh, in any doubt. Oh yeah. fans. oh absolutely. <laughs> it, it, it's,
4: it's funny that they, they are kind of becoming what they, well, they. yeah, they will become what they hated. Don't forget, they had this. We had this weird rivalry between Hatafe and Valencia for a number of years that nobody asked for. We got, <laughs> and it was it was brilliant. It was, there was a lot of shit involved, um, and and yeah. So Valencia, I think, are going to go down that route. But yeah, a lot of clubs. Are, it's it's amazing this merry-go-round. I've never seen anything like it.
2: But although we talk often about the philosophy of a coach, you know, that's always central. Maybe it's an overused term, but here yeah, you could argue that the philosophy of the coach, the fresh eyes or whatever it might be, the new way of looking at a club might be more important, certainly in the coming season, than the number of players. Because you can always change the players, but the philosophy is something that is intrinsic in the club, you know, from yeah. one coach to another.
3: Yeah, I think so. And I think when when you look at where next for Conte, with Zinedine Zidane leaving Real Madrid, it, it does seem like a great fit for me. I mean, obviously, he would have been there already had it not been for Sergio Ramos putting the block on it. And out of contract, injured Sergio Ramos um, will maybe not get a say this time. So maybe that means that the way is clear for, for, for Conte. I mean, much like Borderlass on a bigger scale, David, Conte to Real Madrid is it's not really a sexy
4: appointment, but it's, I think, maybe a necessary one. But... Zidane, despite being this cool guy, this cool laid-back guy, very sharply dressed individual, his football wasn't sexy. No. It was grim. No, no, no. So I don't think there's going to be... I don't think... It's less of a leap, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think Real Madrid fans are going to go, oh my God, this is such a massive, massive downgrade. It just... It it isn't. It's going to be a different kind of grim. If anything, I think Conte's football might be a bit more entertaining. could be a bit more energetic. could be a bit more, you know, blood and thunder sort of thing. And I think Real Madrid fans have... They've been sleeping... I think the club generally has been sleeping the last few years, and I think this might wake them up. And there might be a bit more controversy. Conte might, you know, ruffle a few feathers. Um, maybe some of the old guard, who knows, Cruz, Modric, he, he might rub them up the wrong way, maybe not. But I don't know. It's it's something interesting, something new. And I think a lot of fans might like that. Conte's expiry date is usually maybe two to three years. I'm not saying that's a negative thing or a positive thing. It's just the way that he coaches. It's just the way that he has his demands well, for players. It's standard nowadays, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I think that kind of suits everything well for Raul coming in the next few years. Because that's the ultimate goal here. Barcelona are looking to Xavi. Real Madrid are looking to Raul. So I think it suits them really, really
3: well. So you think the sense that Real Madrid is Raul is not quite ready do you think they maybe look at Juventus and think that I know it's, it's different because but has got more experience than Pirlo had because Pirlo hadn't Coached at all, he was appointed to the under 23s job, and, and and then a week later they changed their mind and gave him the full time job. And you kind of we've talked about this before, and you kind of have to repeat it because it's so mad, especially for a team, a club, sorry, as perpetually well organized and methodical as as Juventus. But do you think there's maybe a sense of that, the sense that well Real Madrid are in a dip at the moment. There does need to be a rebuild. There does need to be some tough decisions made. Should we maybe spare Raul from that?
4: Yeah, I don't think they want to give him that because I don't think they want to do it to Xavi as well. I don't think Xavi wanted that. I think he could see what was happening at Barcelona and he thought, right, they're in an absolute mess. I want yeah. to stabilize this before I come in. This is my, it's the job of my life. It's the job of my career. Why do I want to walk and do it now? It'd be the worst time. And I think Raul's probably looking at that. So Kondé could come in. Revitalize things, um, create a f- you know some new leaders from the younger players that they have, or the guards coming back. You know they have Sabias, You know there's a lot of young players who have futures to be resolved. Um, he could stabilize things, maybe give them a trophy in the meantime, and then the club's in a better place because because Marcelo and uh, Modric, Cruz might have gone by then, so there's no worry about upsetting the old generals sort of thing. And Raul
2: could come in, in a, under a fresh kind of guise. It's interesting that. Um... The um, Andy's touched on some of the winners and losers. Certainly, the loser in terms of Sergio Ramos at Madrid, of Conte coming in there. But there will be other winners and losers amongst the other players. But it depends on where all the coaches are going to end up. Do we do we know where the other coaches are going to end up yet? Yeah.
3: Um, well, I, we've got a couple of interesting moves already. Um, I, I know they just missed out on the Champions League, and this makes a huge difference to Juventus and Allegri and the future because a lot of people said with Juventus uh, and uh, of course Fabio Paratici, the sporting director said, Pirlo stays if we get top four. Whereas to me, that doesn't make sense. You need to have it the other way round. If you've got like a development project that doesn't rely on win now, then you keep Pirlo yeah. and you can grow. Now that they have got back in the Champions League, I think getting rid of Pirlo and getting in Allegri, that that makes a little bit better sense. Now they are in the Champions League. Now, of course, the reason they're in the Champions League is quite simply because Napoli did them a favour. We thought Atalanta might do them a favour by beating Milan last weekend. That didn't happen. Milan went there and won 2-0. And why would Atalanta do us <laughs> any favours after the last couple of months, quite frankly? But all Napoli needed to do was beat Verona and then the. Lock them out of the top four. Now, Verona are a decent side. Um, they were drifting mid-table. So it was a game that Napoli should have been able to win. They went 1-0 up. They didn't close it out. We knew Gattuso was going anyway. But so sad for him to miss out on the Champions League on the last day of the season again. I think he's an enormously underrated coach. Because people, again, you know what you were saying about the connection, David, that people make with Zidane as a player and Zidane as a coach and they're two totally separate people. You know, they're they're nothing, they're nothing alike and I I know the way people perceive Real Madrid from afar is quite image-based but I I feel it's kind of the same thing with Gattuso. People are like, well, you know, he's fire and brimstone and all the rest of it. He's more canny than that and he's been into some really unpromising situations at Milan and Napoli and got them in in better places. One silverware at at Napoli and he should have been able to close this out he should have been yeah. able to get them in the Champions League but the fact that he didn't he was he was unlucky to be got rid of I think because I think some of the recruitment has been a little bit subpar at Napoli as as, as well um, certainly of, of pl- players who were on the fringes of the first team I think Fiorentina have lucked out getting him I think given that Fiorentina have drifted from coach to coach for the, the last couple of seasons it feels as if This is somewhere with more realistic expectation where we can actually build something
4: sustainable. And I hope he does. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because the the margins are so fine, aren't they? If he'd qualified, if he'd got in, then he'd be planning for this summer with Napoli probably. Yeah, And everything would have changed. And it is, it's unfortunate. So I completely get your point that he is perhaps underrated somewhat. But I am just really astounded that there wasn't a bit of a gentleman's agreement between Verona and Napoli just saying, come on. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say I, I, about I, Italian not, football not, yeah I was going
3: to say not only do I not know what you're talking about a nose. nobody in Italy knows what you're talking about
2: <laughs> but we'll make them an offer they can't refuse obviously but tell me very quickly because we talked about Juventus we talked about Real Madrid we talked about Barcelona these are the three teams that are still hanging on the Super League threads by you know every sinew of their claws
3: and fingers is, is that just their way do you think at this Point, well, obviously, Florentino Perez doesn't know how to back down, but do you think at this point is their way of saying to their new coaches, or you know, saying again to Ronald Koeman because it looks like he'll stay at Barcelona now, we do not have any money. We do not have any money. If if you're thinking of knocking on on my door and asking for me to buy someone, no, because you look at you look at Barcelona's like mini rebuild that I'm sure we'll come to in a minute. They're all free, although so like, there's no such thing as a free transfer in football, is there? Mm.
2: Well, let's come on to the Barcelona uh, situation at the moment. How on earth did Ronald Koeman survive?
3: I, well, <laughs> I think they've done the right thing in keeping him because. There's been a lot of progress this season, a lot of progress that I wasn't expecting, to be perfectly honest, um, because the first half of the season was horrible. In 2021, they played well enough to win the league. They played the best football of anyone in Spain. They looked like Barcelona for quite a lot of it. I think they could convince Messi that there was a sporting future, which as we know at the start of the season, he definitely didn't believe was was there. So there's a sense that they could build towards something but it seemed as if in the shock of them falling away from title contention and they really could have won it even if you look at the points and how far they finished off Atletico and we really want to talk about Atletico at length in a minute so we'll do that but it looked like um, Laporta was going to throw the baby out with the bathwater because I don't think it's about you thinking Kuman is the the best possible coach for Barcelona I think he's the right one at this time because yeah. he wants to do the job and everything he's done in terms of development this season has actually been pretty good.
4: Yeah. I'd I'd say yeah, I'd say it's been pretty good. I mean there's been lots of drawbacks as well, but again nothing that I wasn't you know, expecting you know. Well, people every,
3: thought they wouldn't make top four at the start of the season. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. I mean, people people who know Barcelona. I, I don't really understand why that that would happen. Um I think every, they have been good in spells. They've been bad in spells. I think they've even been very bad in spells. By the way, to watch, they're not very good. Um You know, that, that's not you know, it's it's not a surprise at all. So I think what's going on is completely. I think Cumin is the right man for now. He's not the right man for Barca as a whole, but he is the right man for now. The project's an interesting one. He's got some experienced heads in there. He's got more coming. Aguero looks like he's coming. And then he's also going to have young players to work with as well. So as long as he keeps giving those young players opportunities. and It's an interesting project that they're going for because they, kinda, they want to win now. They still feel they can win in Europe. I still do believe there's a belief that they can win in Europe. They can win in Liga. Um, but at the same time, they're still in a state of transition with these younger players trying to bring them through and bring those into the team. I don't think there's anyone else that they can turn to, honestly, on the market right now who would make things better because they can't really afford anybody. They, you, you know, they, they probably would have liked Nagelsmann, but they can't afford him. It was it a 20 million release clause or so it was? Mm, you know, 25, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They can't afford that. They can't afford a player for that, let alone a coach. So uh, they were linked with Roberto Martinez. I mean, it's a, it's six and two threes. They, that, that's not going to improve you. It's not going to make you worse. I just think it's going to be more of the same there's more chance of it actually making you worse. And I think is interesting the point you make
3: about the, the development because when you look at the rebuilds that are having to happen at Barcelona and Real Madrid, I think the key to this whole Atletico title win, and I know it's easy to rewrite history from the results, but how they got themselves at least in the position to win the title in the first place is because you look at their rebuild, which starts you think at the start of 1920 season, and I know it seems in some ways as if that's the same season as this season. In other ways, it feels like it was a million years ago. But the start of that season, Simeone very clear. Diego Simeone is very clear. He says, this is a rebuild season. This is a transition season. And so there's this immense disappointment in some quarters And this suggestion that they're having some sort of existential crisis when they get knocked out of the Champions League in the quarterfinals by RB Leipzig because some some biggies have got knocked out already and there's a sense that they could go on to win it. But at the start of the season, they never really should have been into that spot. And I think when you look at how many players from the start of, take it from summer 2019, there are so many starters that have changed there. I think because Simeone is still there. And again, this is about, perception becoming reality in people's heads people look at Simeone being there for the long haul and I think a lot of people still look at it and say well you know Atletico have stolen the title from under the noses of Real Madrid and Barcelona just like they did in 2014 there are two players still there from yeah. that time yeah. the team has totally changed
4: yeah no I think it's yeah, yeah they've it's been a year a strange year in the Liga in terms of how clubs have operated how teams have played as well we're always I, I made this point before we came on air today I think the last two seasons feel like they've been rolled into one somewhat Totally, it's very strange there's been no breaks just been a constant two years of a lot of football and no stoppages and I think a lot of teams are weaker they're more tired now but you know that's not to say Atleti don't deserve this or that they've you know they they've sneaked this or fluked this they have been they have been the best team by far. Um, I think you know they spent you know twenty seven weeks of the season as leaders, um, mm. uh, and I think that says it all about them. In fact, I, I thought Sid Lowe actually made a great point in his um column. He said it's a title that they've uh, won twice because they were top of the league at one point. It looked like it was all over, and then suddenly they just lost, and it was like oh my god, they're going to chuck it in. And then they had to go over and win it again. And that's exactly how it's been. So it's even more credit to them. They've had the character to rebuild and do that again.
2: Of course, even though you've both uh, (laughs) preempted this next segment, I will refer you back to Shakespeare. Um, And do you remember Mercutio in, uh, what, just before he, or just when he gets stabbed, turns around and says, a plague on both your houses. In, in this respect, I suppose, Atletico fans would be saying, you spent all that time talking about Barcelona and Real Madrid. <laughs> a plague on both your ass. We have made worms meat of them this season. And I suppose Diogo Simeone, if he knows his Shakespeare, might be smiling as I say that. Possibly.
3: He was smiling a lot at the end of the win against Valladolid that clinched <laughs> in the title, which already creeped me out, to, to, to be honest. To see him smiling. Yeah, Totally. <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's there's so much talk about has he changed. I think to go back and when we were talking about how much the players have changed since the last title win, I think this is the key to this. The fact that if you think the big three have all been in a state of flux, they're further along in their rebuild than the other two. And I think that makes a, a, a massive difference. And to think of someone like Simeone who's, a constant that can't change, that you know, you can't imagine him managing anyone else really, that he is who he is, that his teams have to play one way. Well, Atletico don't play in the same way as the 2014 and 2016 team. Of course, they're still identifiable as a Simeone team, but I just wonder, David, with those players who I think, you know, we saw at the previous game against Osasuna that, that we talked about, the fact that. They almost won that game in spite of what Simeone did, rather than because of. Because he's in this frenzy, and the players they find these way this way to score these two beautifully crafted goals. And I think, especially the equalizing goal in that, Mm -hmm. the Joao Felix to Renan Lodi, it's not very Atletico, not very old school Atletico goal. It's almost as if he has these big personalities in the team that can interpret in a way that they can see fit now. And I felt that that's been a big thing for Atletico all season. You think that he's got a new assistant coach, of course, in in Nelson Vivas after Germán Burgos moved on. And I just wonder if Simeone's looked at himself and think, well, maybe I can't change, but I can change the people Mm -hmm. around me and maybe that changes the dynamic.
4: I think he's always open to advice and a word in his ear I think he comes across as a very stubborn man very much set in his ways and how he plays how he sets up the team and everybody's like oh I'd let you have haven't change but they have they've, I think they've changed a lot I think we saw this season for the first time a new formation they went three at the back for the first time they went to play 3-5-2 they'd never done that before from what's being said that was apparently a big thing from Vivas to say that they should do he changed a lot of their transition attack and play as well um big believer in the whole, juego de posicion. position? Um, apparently that's something that Simeone had heard. You know, Simeone knows what that is, but it's not something that he'd got too deeply embroiled in. Um, but Vivas had kind of influenced in there, and away from the tactical side of the thing, um, The big incident with Diego Costa, that is something that could have completely ruined their season and blown up. But apparently Vivas intervened there, completely diffused the situation and, and was the one who said, right, I think maybe he needs to go. I know this is not something you do. You know, I I know you're much very much about the unit. I know he's one of your boys, but he has to he has to go. Um and I think that was a big, big factor there. I think a lot of the players will have seen that and said, All right, maybe things are a little bit different now. We're doing things, you know, this other way. Um and I th- also think he's got some players that in style um he's never had before. I think Marcus Ludrente is a different type of player he's used to. Physically, he's a very much an Atleti player, but if you look at the way he plays the game, the way he alternates in different positions and how he um, performs the runs that he makes, I don't think Simeone's had a player like him. He's definitely not had a player like João Felix. Um, I think he's had trouble handling Felix at times in terms of how he uses him, but we saw with that pass, nobody else on Atleti's squad makes that pass like no. João Felix makes he's such an incredible player and Simeon was speaking to him after and he said sometimes it hurts when he doesn't get the best out of him and you can really see he wants to make you know Felix a very, very special player. He is a special player but he wants to make him you know go all the way to the top.
3: And it is interesting, isn't it, how he's actually provided the environment for some of those players to change. I mean, like you said, Marcos Llorente, he was meant to be the replacement for Casemiro at Real Madrid yeah. and it never happened. Turns up as a defensive midfielder, can't get in the
4: team he's played right back. he's become something (laughs) else he's he's become he's became everything else he's been a right back a right winger second striker yeah a right midfielder attacking midfielder a second striker sometimes i think he's even led the line to be honest with you so yeah he's done everything and that's not some sort of you know versatility and freedom liberation that perhaps some Simeone would have afforded anyone before
3: and i think as as well talking about the dynamics in the squad of the players who were there before Mm -hmm. um I think the has been the ultimate captain, even if he didn't do the Gabby thing and climb up the statue of Neptuno to celebrate the title, like in 2014. I mean, that was very not health and safety. Um, He went in a cherry picker. I think Koke, which is far more sensible and uh, (laughs) befits a man who's played several hundred games at Atletico, but he's had a second wind as a player. And I feel he could be big for them in the Euros. He could be, big for Spain in the Euros going forward. He he should have a leadership role. Saul has become less important to the point where you can even envisage a departure at at some point. Mm -hmm. And the big one, Yannick Carrasco, who of course scored in the 2016 Champions League final. You expected to go on to a big move, a, a Bayern or in the Premier League, ended up going to China and clearly thought, shit, my career's falling to bits here mm. and has come back transformed and he's been integral to their season especially when you're talking about three at the back.
4: Yes, he's been absolutely outstanding. I think Carrasco is probably one of the stars. You know, you look outside Luis Suarez, of course, who gets all the headlines because of the goals and he's been unbelievably important but I'd probably say Black, Savic, coke Urente have, have all been outstanding in their own right but Carrasco has came back a changed man. He's looked like a completely different player this was somebody that people used to scream at because he wouldn't track back he, he he'd lose the ball constantly but he's changed that he tracks back he doesn't lose the ball he he, he identifies passes and passing angles that he didn't before um so, so he has been incredibly influential um and you know they, they didn't pay anything for him he just he just came back he just turned up again and it was uh it was incredible and and sometimes with that letter like, you do get a bit you do doubt these things and there's a bit of cynicism there because you think, oh God, they're bringing back the old players. They want to try and run it all back, you know? And it so, really works, does it? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, you, you, talk, you talked about Diego Acosta yeah. and, you know, for them to get to a point with him, yeah. as you say, where they're like, well, we paid an enormous amount of money for you, yeah. but actually we're going to let you go with six months left yeah, on it hasn't,
4: his contract. It hasn't really worked. Felipe Lewis came back that worked out um, and Carrasco came back mm. and that's worked out, but,
2: It goes back to what Andy was saying about uh, Atleti being further on in the rebuilding process, doesn't it? Because when you rebuild, you have a clear vision as to who fits and who doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. The question now is, can they maintain it for another season? Can they uh, retain the players? Can they retain the um, effectiveness, and the position they're in ahead of Real Madrid and Barcelona, who will be rebuilding, as we've already said this season? Can they maintain it? Can they win La Liga again?
4: I think they can. I think they'll sense some opportunism. We've just been talking about Barcelona and Real Madrid very much in a, a state transition. An absolute bombshell today with Zidane leaving Real Madrid changes everything, the complete complexion of that club and how they operate. Barcelona, as we know with, with Koeman, you know that they are still deciding what kind of club they want to be. Um, but I think Atleti are very clear on what they are right now. They can potentially sell Saúl. Um, who just hasn't progressed as a player, I don't think, for a number of years now. It's a, it's a shame because a super, super talented player, but I think he would be better somewhere else in a different system as a more attacking midfielder. So they could sell him for maybe 50, 60 million, reinvest that um, in potentially a new attacking midfield um, player or another central midfielder. And, and they're very much, like you say, I think they're further along in their rebuild. My favourite transfer rumour of the week, actually, and I
3: don't even know if we want to get onto this after the coaches, but... Um... The suggestion in Italy, because of course Juventus would like to keep Morata, mm-hmm. don't have the money for him, um, Atletico don't really want him back, a swap for Paolo Dybala. Now, if Simeone can fit Paolo di in his setup then I'm convinced that he's changed a bit. Is that, is that alongside
4: Joao Felix or instead of Joao Felix? Oh, well,
3: <laughs> you know, one, you... one for the league, one for the Champions League.
4: <laughs> Simeone has already had it up to his uh, neck with Joao Felix. And he's just like, right, so he's another liberated, creative player to just play with. And it's like, <laughs> oh God, why are you doing this to me? But yeah, it'll be interesting because Allegri's appointment perhaps changes that because I have read today that he's going to base the project around Dybala.
2: So, wow! so so there we go so we'll see if Jao Velix had been fit the whole season we would would we be here arguing about how much further ahead Atletico are in their rebuilding process yeah maybe not maybe not mm-hmm. do you know what I mean yeah Rugani con il piattone per Di Bala attenzione Di Bala, attenzione Di Bala Di Bala La Juventus è in vantaggio e mi troverò So, one more league to concentrate on in this conversation. Well, you could argue there are several more leagues, but today we're concentrating on France's Ligue 1 um, title race. Lille won it with virtually the last (laughs) breath of the league uh, season, I would have thought. Well,
3: they managed to take it down to the last day and they had to go to Angers and win... Because they only had one point in front and, um, you know, they knew that Paris Saint-Germain would probably win at Brest. There there wasn't going to be any mucking about goal difference because it's goal difference not head-to-head in France. They um, uh, knew that that they just had to win and it was that simple. And it looked really comfy for for most of it, 2-0 up at half-time. And then they conceded an unexpected goal a minute before the end of stoppage time. And you can just see this panic <laughs> descend on all the players against the mid-table team who are just really playing the season out. And, you know, as soon as anyone gets the ball, they just hoy it into the opposition half. Finally, it ends. Everyone piles on the pitch. They get the title they deserve because much like David was saying about Atleti, Lille the best team in France this season. Comfortably. They've deserved it. Um, Christophe Galtier, the coach, has been at the heart of it. And I think if you go back to the beginning, um, him picking up, uh, we have said it before, but it definitely needs reiterating. He picked up a team that looked doomed to relegation under Marcelo Bielsa. Marcelo Bielsa had a disastrous spell at Lille. Uh, the club was in a very, very bad place financially. And, um, And Gautier comes in, inherits Bielsa's squad, someone who, in terms of football philosophy, is totally juxtaposed to what he thinks and has to mould this into a team that will stay up. And indiscipline reigns in the back end of the Bielsa days as well. So he has to really get them to fix up straight away that even if they avoid relegation, they might be relegated by the DNCG, the French Financial Control Board, because they're in such a hole he keeps them up. They pass the DNCG um, exam. The next season, he gets them in the Champions League. Last season, they should have been in the Champions League. And they would have been in the Champions League, is my belief, instead of Wren, had the season gone to term and not just been finished overnight, unlike the other big leagues in Europe. And then, after that, he comes back and they win the league this season. It's an absolutely magnificent story. It's partly down to the recruitment of uh, Luis Campos, the sporting director, the erstwhile well, now sporting director who he's, he's, he's been very close to. But Gautier, I think, has shown that just because people, you're experienced and people have an idea of what you are as a coach, you can still be smart enough to slightly change tack to give those players a little bit of liberty like you were saying with Diego Simeone to express themselves and he has been quite attacking in various games I thought what was interesting is this game against Angers that they had to win on the final day and it did turn out they had to win it because of course PSG did win is that they went out there not with a team to grind but with a team to properly win the game they went out there and they thought right okay we're going to get Yusuf Yusuf in in there on the left-hand side. We get Renato Sanchez on the other side. We're going to properly go after this game. And they got their reward.
2: I suppose uh, as much as the drama was in there, there's a lot in what Andy says there to unpack with regards to uh, not just the players on the field or the coach, but indeed the setup of Lille as well. Is it comparable to what we were talking about with Atleti in terms of rebuilding the team and maintaining that position? I think it's different in the sense that, you know, it's...
4: It's almost been a stopgap club in terms of players coming in. They can stay a little while and then they will head on. And there's such a mix as well of youth and older players. You've got Renato Sanchez, Sven Botman um, and uh, Sumari as well, all under 24. But then you've got the older heads as well. You've got Joseph Fonte, um, of course, and I'm sure Andy will want to speak on um, his Turkish friend, in attack. Um <laughs> so, you, so you know there's that incredible blend of of young and old. So you see so you've got a 37 year old Fonte um, pairing up with a 21 year old Sven Botman in defence, it's incredible. And I noticed they conceded only 23 goals in 38 games which is astounding for an attacking team.
3: And they've, they've, they've got a brilliant goalkeeper. Well, I say they've got a brilliant <laughs> goalkeeper. This is the issue with Lille. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk Barack Yilmaz before we get to that because he has been outstanding this season. Uh, 35 years old, better now than he was when he was 28, 29, more of an all-round player, still really quick as well. Scored not just goals, not just great goals, but absolutely vital goals in the derby against Lance near the end of the season. He completely turned the game at Lyon, which I think was the most vital one about a month from the end of the season where they were two nil down. He scored a brilliant free kick with the last kick of the first half then set up the equalizer, scored the winner after absolutely tearing past Lyon's defense at uh, a rate of knots. But going back to yeah, the, the the goalkeeper Mike Maignan, who I I think is is going to be France's number one after Hugo Lloris, He's a terrific goalkeeper. He's signing for Milan. Um, Bubakari Soumare, who David quite rightly pointed out, is going to Leicester.
4: What a player! An really He's the sort of good. player you could watch maybe two or three times and then go, wow, they've got a serious player there. And you watch him over the course of the season and the influence that he has on the team on, on in every aspect. I think you know from a defensive level incredible at recovering the ball, incredible at stopping attacks, but also the way that he carries the ball after, mm. the way that he moves the team up the field, the way that he joins the attack as well is fantastic. He's very much, he's a classic
2: box-to-box. and uh, Yeah, and I, I think the interesting... That's scary. That's you, scary. going to have him as well as what they've got already. That's yeah. scary.
3: Yeah, and they, they, you know they, this is what they do in terms of great recruitment, but I think the interesting thing is how Sumare's been so good it, Has kind of pushed Renato Sanchez's nose out of joint because he's played in the team instead of him, or he's pushed him out to the wing where he hasn't really played since he was in the youth team at Benfica. But I think, in terms of these players going, it's the tip of the iceberg. And we've seen with Monaco, the last team to, the last non PSG team to win it in 2017, is that they planned at the start of that summer. In 2017, right, we've got a deal to sell Bernardo Silva to Manchester City. We've got a deal to sell Timuray Bakayoko to Chelsea. No one else is going to go. And then Manchester City ruin it all by making a world record bid for a fullback. And they're like, hang on. So we can more than treble our money on Benjamin Mundi, who's been here for like a season. And they have to sell Mundy. They have to sell him. So he goes. And then everyone else says, well, if everyone's going... It, it's really hard to keep it together. The mm. one thing they had is their coach stayed, Leonardo Jardim. That's not going to happen. Christophe Galtier is leaving. He's either going to end up at Lyon or Nice, probably Nice, who have um, got a, a lot of money from big Jim Ratcliffe to spend in the transfer market this, this summer. It, it, I think it's really, really hard to rebuild from here. And the sort of level of coach they're talking about Replacing him with. I mean, Thiago Motta has been um, profited as a replacement who has so far had a, a couple of months at Genoa in terms of big European football and that's it, really. I mean, I think you need a strong character for a rebuild. And whether whether they've got a strong experienced character to, to
2: do it, I, is it a I strong, don't know. Is it a strong character or strong, in terms of real, a strong... Uh, ownership uh, a strong board that are
3: willing I think that's a great question and I think what I was saying before about Lu- uh, Lucas Lewis Campos sporting director the fact that he's not going to be there isn't a huge deal I mean he was kind of he it's always said that he was never really sporting director he's just de facto sporting director because he was employed as an um, independent consultant through some sort of shell company that belongs to the club that he was never really a little employee and all the rest of it and that's what it all comes down to basically that they're owned by a hedge fund who want to sell the place who want to make money the problem is when football and business meet in a way like this and football is a very weird type of business isn't it it's the fact that sometimes when you are looking at the balance sheet and you see what you can make off these players what you don't realise, and but I think this is a good example of, say, someone like Mike Ashley at Newcastle, that success perpetuates success. So, you know, if you want the best young players to continue to come, you have to continue a level of sporting success. They need to be in an arena where they're going to be pushed, where they're going to be motivated, where they're going to... Like inflate their own value for for, well, for, this,
2: for for want of a business term this is the problem though isn't it because football is not like horse racing where you win you know you win a race and then you immediately put the horse out to stud because mm-hmm. it's more valuable in that respect and you, you you're right when you say that to attract the great players you've got to have that level of sporting success but on the other hand with them it's more the next great players well yeah, yeah because on the other hand to have that sporting success is the optimum time to sell these great players isn't it david so shoot sure, yeah no absolutely so
4: surely in their best interest therefore hiring a really good sporting director and continuing the project in the sense of buying those type of players and building them up and then selling them on is like that's that's number one job isn't it that's going to be the number one task over the summer isn't it
3: and that's that's where it fell apart for monaco and yeah. they're now back in that good place now that um paul mitchells there and you know he's done a good job before leipzig and and, and spurs and southampton and um i I'm, he's he's really turned monaco around and i think it's largely through those young players um incidentally a knock on while we're talking of the french title race and top 3 um of course monaco because Leon blew it, made it to the Champions League. Because Villarreal won and not Manchester United, Monaco have to do a qualifying round to the Champions League, which is a pain in the ass in terms of rebuilding, yeah. in terms of restructuring, because you've almost got to have two plans. Now, they should make it through, like the qualifying rounds are easier for the bigger league clubs than, than they used to be. But it's, it's, it's not a given, you know. And we saw that with Benfica last summer when they spent 80 million on players, just on fees alone, not to mention the big contracts, and then one game in, they're gone. They have to sell Ruben Dias to Manchester City, and the rest is history.
2: I know it's the end of the season for most of the top leagues. It well in Europe certainly, but we still have to ask you for games of the week, <laughs> gentlemen, if you don't mind.
3: Um, Andy, do you want to go first? Uh, I am going to go first because I've not, I've not just got one game to recommend, but two. Actually, they're they're two halves of a whole. Um, It's the French relegation playoff. So third bottom of Ligue 1 plays um, the team that came through the qualifying tournament in uh, Ligue 2. And it's going to be, I guess, two quiet story clubs. Is that how
2: they do it in France? Yeah.
3: Oh, that's exciting. Like it's what they do in Germany as well. So it's what they briefly did in England when um, Chelsea played Middlesbrough, and I guess it would have been 87-88. Any, anyway, it's um, something they've brought back in France in the last couple of years. Um, Nantes are playing Toulouse. Now, that was a very exciting uh, thing at the end of um, uh, Ligue 1's season last week, that there were five possible clubs who could have dropped into that playoff place. It ended up after Trevor Chalobah on loan from uh, Chelsea, scored scored a really good goal for Lorient, at Strasbourg, that saved them. So Nantes, who've been in great form of late under Antoine Comboare, they lost at home to Montpellier. They ended up in it. They're playing to lose um, now. Um, see, overseen um, by President uh, Damien Comoli, Of course, we know from uh, Liverpool and Spurs over over here. they um, have also got um, a Welsh striker Rhys Healy, who um, came from the EFL and has gone over there and scored scored goals. So he's he's doing okay this is going to be really interesting. So the first leg is Thursday night. Second leg is Sunday night. So yeah, I, I feel bad that my game of the week has not been the title decider between, um, uh, Leon women and Paris Saint-Germain women, because that'll be big. And that's also on UK TV on Sunday night. But, um, Oh,
2: you can't beat the playoffs. I mean, they're morally wrong, but I love them. And also, Nantes have got nothing to lose. I couldn't resist it. David? <laughs> um I was
4: going to be really niche and, and pick a game out of Segunda. But quite frankly, I think all the main things are, are pretty much sorted. So I'm just going to be really boring and go for the Champions League final. Nice. Yes. <laughs> not bad, not bad. That's not boring. So yeah, no, I think it's a really interesting game. You, you know, we have the two English teams, I think makes it, I think it makes it really fascinating. Um, I think, you you know, you look at Chelsea and how impressive they have been since Tuchel came in. Yet they have had, you know, they're potentially going to end up without anything despite being involved in these finals. Um, And I think with City as a club, I think this is their moment that Chelsea had a few years ago when they won their first Champions League. I think they really, really need this um, to be... To really fully announce themselves I know that sounds crazy because City have been you know impressive as they are in Europe in the Premier League and such but I think this is a big big moment for the club to say that right we finally achieved this I think if you know PSG are are a club who are still chasing that elusive Champions League crown and it means so much to these guys who have invested in the club um, that they finally get that trophy to say like look we're here now and I think that's how I think there's more riding on for City to win it you don't have to sell that one to
2: anybody, but <laughs> no, yeah. But thank you. This was
1: a Stakanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.